What's up, guys? It's another episode of another sports podcast with me, Tyler Gautier, here again. Um, this could be potentially a fun one because uh, I'm actually watching the Contender Series uh, in the background here as I'm recording this, and uh, it's the featured bout, and uh, if someone gets uh, hurt or knocked the fuck out, you might hear me swear, you might hear me yell or whatever, so that might be fun. We'll see what, what happens here, but... Not to talk about that. I wanted to talk about the lead story. Obviously, it was a busy weekend. Uh, we had a lot of stuff this weekend. We're gonna go over um, week two in the NFL. Um, obviously, it was a very crazy week in the NFL this week, and uh, a lot of eye-opening things that happened. Um, also, crazy weekend for combat sports as well. We had uh, the ADCCs uh, for grappling. I'll touch on that a little bit. Um, and not often that I'll get to really talk about competitive grappling in this context. Um, we also had a really good uh, UFC main event and uh, a big boxing match too as well on Saturday night. So Saturday and Sunday were both full of combat sports. So I'll talk about those. Also hit on on uh, important player um, of my childhood and uh, really of my younger era uh, retired today. In, in hockey, and I'll, t- I'll briefly touch on that as well. But uh, I'll start off with talking about what the lead story obviously should be, and that's been what I've been thinking about uh, all day. And that is, how screwed are the New England Patriots? I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, I mean, I would probably put them at about like an 8. Um, they definitely it, they have a good win against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were a tough, gritty team, and they eked out a tough, gritty win against a middling, sort of average team. And, you know, that's all sounding good. They finally get a win in the win column. They go to move to 1-1. One one. It feels good. And then you turn on the rest of the league, and the Dolphins storm that comeback against the Ravens. All sorts of speed all over the field on both sides of the ball. And then you turn on the TV last night and the watch the Buffalo Bills absolutely bludgeon the Tennessee Titans 41-7 to with a crowbar. They bludgeoned them with a crowbar. That's how I would describe that game. Uh, beat them in all facets of the game, running all over the field. And then you also see the Eagles as well. They beat the Minnesota Vikings and they have all sorts of speed all over the field. So... Watching the games last night and watching the games on Sunday, including, you know, Arizona and and, and Vegas, it's hard to imagine the Patriots being anywhere near any of these teams in the near future, let alone this year. They can't seem to get anybody open. Um, The quarterback is seems like he's regressed to be honest with you and whether that's the coaching whether that's him I mean it's probably more the coaching than him to tell you the truth because I feel like if he had Josh McDaniels on this on his coaching staff that this wouldn't be happening but instead he's got Matt Patricia and Joe Judge and the clown show going on over there on the offensive coaching staff and he's had it all offseason feels like he's regressed in a big way and uh, this guy just has got stopped in, in the contender series by the way thought i'd just take a second to acknowledge that oh that was a little bit disrespectful of a celebration to kind of just yell next to the guy but back to what i was talking about (laughs) 
you, you've got uh, the coaching staff, which he's been having to deal with all offseason. Um, he's got a bad offensive line. He really doesn't have much talent on the receiving core. The tight ends are completely useless. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a train wreck of an operation at the moment. Um, the least I could say is that the defense is pretty decent. Um, they are able to hold the bad offenses to, you know, low-scoring games. Um, and they run the ball well, I guess, sort of, kind of. Definitely ran the ball well as the game went on. Um they kind of block okay. They blocked better in this game than they did the last game against the Dolphins, which was a complete uh, fire height with complete fire drill back there. Um, but still, it's hard to imagine this team competing with the Bills, who, like I said, are the complete wagon right now. Complete. 07 Patriots vibes going on with them. They look like they're on a mission to. R- run rough shot through the entire league. I think that they're pissed about last year, the way that it ended in that overtime game. They kind of, their season kind of ends on a coin toss and the whole drama with that. And then they're a team that knows that they're good and they're cocky and they're arrogant. And they're a little bit confident and maybe that'll bite them in the ass and in, at the end of the year. But as of right now, I think that they're about to curb stomp the entire league and uh, they showed that against Tennessee Titans. A Tennessee Titans team that has given them problems in the past. Uh, it was kind of interesting. I mean, obviously, Tennessee doesn't seem like they're the same team that they've been the past couple years. But, uh, you know, Tennessee kind of kept it close early on. And then once once the that muff punt happened, you just, you just knew that the route was on. And uh, Buffalo made them pay for it. And they just didn't stop. The floodgates opened. So, um, there was that Buffalo running rough shot overly, but even some of these other teams, like, you know, you got Philly last night who Jalen Hurts has sort of a career game. I guess you could say he goes off in the first quarter in the first half. He went uh, 10 of 10 in the first quarter with 154 yards in a rushing touchdown. Uh, again, I mean, Jalen Hurts is not someone that I thought but going into this year, um, not someone I would consider like a top tier quarterback, but he's got loads of talent on that Eagles team. Uh, they got Miles Sanders, they got Dallas Goddard, they got AJ Brown, they got uh, uh, Mrs. Owen, Devontae Smith. Um, the, you seem you put a mediocre quarterback with a bunch of uh, offensive talent, and you can get a fiery offense like they had last night. And that's sort of what's frustrating about the Patriots is that you know Mac Jones doesn't have to be this elite quarterback. He doesn't have to be Justin Herbert. He doesn't have to be Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have to be Josh Allen. He just has to be decent enough, which I think he is, that if you give him some talent, some guys that can get open, some that can create space and make plays, I think they'd be in a much better situation right now. Um, but I think that it's becoming clear that Mac Jones is not that guy that's going to elevate the team. Uh, you know, he's not Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady, if he was playing with these guys, yeah, they probably wouldn't be winning the Super Bowl, but they'd definitely be in the playoffs and, you know, probably contending for the division. But he's just not that type of guy. He's not that type of quarterback. And that's it. I mean, that's not the be-all, end-all. There's plenty of teams that have managed to figure out a way to have success without great quarterbacks in the past. And, you know, 
You just have to surround them with a lot of talent. And I just don't see the Patriots uh, spending the money to do that. I mean, that you got to pay a lot. You got to pay out the nose if you want a guy like Stephon Diggs. You got to pay out the nose if you want a guy like Devontae Adams, whether it be through signing them in free agency or trading for them or both. I mean, you're probably going to have to trade for a big contract. I mean, teams aren't just giving away good receivers. That's going to be a reason why they're getting rid of them. Um, so. It's just it, that sort of just a you know a rant there. Um, I just I I can't see this Patriots team competing this year for a playoff spot. I just I, I don't see it. Um, you know they get a big win. I mean I and I wouldn't be shocked if they won on on Sunday either against that Ravens team. I mean they play Harbaugh well. They know how to defend against Lamar Jackson. They've had success with it in the past. Um, but still, I mean, once it comes down to like the, the the Bills, and you know the Chiefs and the Chargers and other teams like that, the, even the Raiders who don't look great at the moment, but are, um, you know, they got all sorts of little talent. I just don't like them. I just don't like them against those teams. I just see this. I see them being painfully average, and Sunday was a good barometer of that. Um, they're going to have these wins against some of these. They're going to beat these below average, average teams. Um, they'll probably give some of these better teams a good game, and then they'll probably get smoked by the class of the league, just like everyone else does. Um, they're just another team. So, you know, that's all I got to say about the Patriots. But, I mean, it's just, it's, it's really disheartening when you <laughs> watch them and then you watch the rest of the league and it's it's almost like they're they're not even playing the the same sport it's 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 crazy but uh some other thoughts from what was a crazy uh, uh weekend obviously the bills are just a complete wagon they just really are they like i said bludgeoned them with a crowbar would probably be the best way i could describe that game against the Titans, I mean, that was just a complete ass-whooping from pillar to post. Uh, the Bills did everything better than the Dolphins. They were better offensively. They were better defensively. They beat them on special teams. The only times that the Dolphins could get, the, the Titans could get the Bills to punt, uh, they muffed the punt both times, causing, you know, leading to, I believe they scored touchdowns on both possessions. Um, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs go off. Stephon Diggs has more receiving yards than the entire offense. They, they, they're ridiculous. They really are. They're ridiculous. And uh, if you got them already, they opened up only as minus five favorites against the Dolphins. I think that some people are buying the Dolphins juice a little bit because Tua has played well. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I just don't see it. I don't see the Dolphins hanging with the Bills. I think that the Bills are just out for blood at the moment. And I think that it, it could, they, the only team I could see beating them at the moment is Kansas City. Um, but other than that, I don't see anyone beating them right now. Um, I could see down the line, you know, as I said, they're a little bit confident. They're a little bit cocky maybe that lets them maybe that causes them to make a mistake later on in the season definitely tampa could get better with tom brady obviously um and maybe they could give them you know 
problems if they were to meet in the Super Bowl or something. But other than that, I'd really only put KC in that class. I mean, and, and you know, you could have the Chargers too later on in the season um, if they could figure out. I don't see the Ravens being that type of team, but man, as of right now, the Bills are the class of the league. They really are. And then uh, again, I mentioned that uh, Eagles team that uh, Jalen Hurts again goes off that they're a fun team to watch they really are i mean they got speed all over the field and uh definitely have a little bit of a character to them um i'm not too fond of the eagles i you know not a big philly fan but i will say they are definitely fun to watch and you know they don't really have that touch tough of a conference that they're playing in right now and especially not in the division i mean the cowboys are you know, on their backup quarterback right now. So, I mean, that division seems like it's the Eagles to lose. So, they, they could be a factor in the playoffs. I actually think they could make the NFC title game. Uh, but, yeah, an impressive performance by them uh, on Monday night. Um, another big game for... Uh, what was the, Oh, we could also talk about the uh, complete collapse by both the Ravens and the Browns. Uh, the Dolphins storm all the way back to beat the Ravens. They were down 35-14. to 14. Tua Tungavailoa has a career game. Uh, goes off for 469 yards. And that Dolphins offense does look legit. Um, I said I don't think they'll be good enough to beat Buffalo on Sunday. But uh, they definitely are a force to be reckoned with. I mean, they, they might be a playoff team. They really do. They might be. They might take that next step. Um, they definitely seem like they're a much better team with Mike McDaniel at the helm. And uh, they have Tyreek Hill now. They got a lot of talent on that. They got a lot of speed on that offense between him and Jalen Waddle. And uh, they, they they look legit. They look like a team that's going to be um, really tough to deal with throughout the year. Um, they'll probably be, like I said, they should definitely be contending for a playoff spot. Um and, I mean, the Ravens are no joke either. I mean, the Ravens probably should be winning their division. And, you know, they went in there on the road, came back. They they were getting the shit kicked out of them the start of the game. They give up a, that opening kickoff. I saw that. And then uh, they were down 28-7 to at the half, I believe. And they were all the way down to 35-14 uh, to before they staged that comeback. But, uh, you know, good for them. Uh, they got a tough test coming up on Sunday, though, this Bills team. Like I said, I, I, I don't expect them to cover that five points, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, another collapse, which there was quite a few on Sunday. Uh, we had the Raiders. They blew, I believe they were up 24-7 to at one point in time. And they uh, ended up losing to the Arizona Cardinals, who seemed like they were dead in the water. Um, halfway through that game, they move. They fall to zero and two with Josh McDaniels as their head coach, and that's a tough spot for them to be in, given that division. Uh, Kansas City, I think, has established that they still are the class of that division on Thursday night, um, and I feel like the Chargers are just a smidge behind. Uh, I, I almost almost there they almost pulled it off there in arrowhead the other night but again i think they're just a smidge behind they could catch up before the end of the year and then it feels like there's a gap and then it's denver and and, and vegas and um i mean denver's got their issues with the coach and you know it definitely seems like russell wilson is not 
um, playing up to what many people thought he was going to be there in Denver. I don't know if that could get corrected before the end of the year. I mean, he's only two games in, but that definitely doesn't seem like it's a great relationship going uh, to start out the the season. Um, but the Raiders as well, they yeah, they're they're down at zero and two in. Maybe I think people may have overrated that uh, AFC West division. I think we may have seen a bunch of names go there, and um, I think maybe we overlooked the coaching and the fact that you know you don't always win the Super Bowl in the off season. And I think that uh, it's definitely it's definitely not a four team race in that in that division. It's it's clearly. The Chiefs and the Chargers are definitely better than the the Raiders and the Broncos, at, at least at the moment, at least at the moment. And, and maybe that could change. I, I, I doubt it. Um, I, I think that the Broncos are in trouble with that coach, Nathaniel Hackett, who, again, embarrasses himself with the clock. And, and they barely beat the Texans, who, you know, are lowly and really shouldn't be giving them a game, especially on the road. Um, and then the Raiders um, almost had their first win, but they get come back on by the Arizona Cardinals, who have a boatload of injuries, and they don't have DeAndre Hopkins, who was suspended for PED use at the start of the year. So, again, you know, that division, like I said, it seems like it's going to come down KC and the Chargers, and uh, the other two are sort of cannon fodder. But they're both, I mean, they're both decent teams. They're They're not bad teams, but... They they are what they are, and then uh, another collapse was the Cleveland Browns, uh, completely, almost mathematically improbable, or impossible, uh, loss to the New York Jets. They were up twenty four to seventeen. I believe they had ninety seconds to go, and the Jets had no timeouts. Nick Chubb takes it into the end zone. Uh, they were down nearby the goal line. Uh, the Jets goal line, and he walks into the end zone. Had he have slid down and taken the first down, they probably would have uh, been able to run the clock out, and as the Jets didn't have any timeouts left. Um, instead, he scores a touchdown there, and the Jets go up down the field. They score a touchdown, they kick an onside kick, and then they receive, they recover the onside kick, and then Joe Flacco leads them down the field again to uh, score a game-winning touchdown. Uh, it was rather bizarre to see. I don't think I've ever seen a comeback that crazy um, in 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 the game. I mean, I, I believe I saw that in according to the NFL's next-gen stats, whatever they call it, um, that the Browns is 99... They had a 99.9% chance of winning that game uh, at the end there, and that they managed to lose, and that's the only time that that's ever happened. So congratulations to the Browns. You found a way to put yourself in history books this weekend, per usual. Um, the Browns make a mockery of themselves, not including the Deshaun Watson uh, situation. And one second, I'm going to take a sip of water here. But, um, yeah. It was uh, definitely a crazy week in the NFL. Um, definitely, we saw some eye-opening things. Like I said, the Bills, clearly the class of the league. The Dolphins are a force to be reckoned with. Um, you know, we got 
we've still seen that there's some questions about the Raiders and Broncos. Um, Kirk Cousins uh, can't win a game in prime time if it meant his life. Uh, what else did we learn here? Uh, the Patriots, like I said, painfully average, probably not going to be that good. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, oh, oh, let me touch on another thing. So big story of the weekend, probably as far as player injury wise, was definitely that Trey Lance, uh, the second year starter or second year quarterback, I should say, for the uh, San Francisco 49ers last year's third overall pick. Really hasn't played that much the past couple of years. Um, North Dakota State, he didn't play his senior his last year there because of COVID. The FCS teams didn't play at all, so he didn't play his final year of college. Then he went to the NFL, sat out last year, minus a couple games because Garoppolo got hurt. Um, he gets the starting job this year, uh, has Jimmy G as his backup, and uh, after last week playing in that monsoon in Chicago, uh, in the second quarter, pretty much uh, snaps his ankle on an RPO uh, on second and long, which, again, you know, the new wave of football, these RPOs, um, they are what they are. What frustrates me sometimes with these coaches, uh, with, you know, the Shanahan's, the McVay's, the... You'll, and you'll see it with Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota as well. Um, sometimes they fall in love with their script. And this is one where they definitely pay for it because there's no reason to be running a read pass option on second and long when you're playing the Seattle Seahawks in week two with your second year quarterback that has barely played football the past three years. And uh, I mean, they kind of got what they were asking for there. Um, Trey Lance breaks his ankle, breaks his fibula. I believe that was what the surgery uh, ended up fixing was his fibula, and he tore a ligament. Um, he's done for the year, so now they have Jimmy Garoppolo, who they kept on as an insurance policy and gave him an incentive-based contract. Uh, he comes in, and uh, he wins the game for the Niners, and uh, he'll be the starter going forward for the rest of the year. So he's back in the, back in the captain's chair there, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, he led them to the Super Bowl a few years ago, notoriously. Um, a lot of people thought he was going to get traded this past offseason. They ended up keeping him on this incentive-based contract, and now it's, I mean, it's paying off for both sides, but definitely Jimmy uh, is making out as well because he'll make uh, $250,000 per game, and then he'll also make another $100,000 if he wins each game. So good for him. And uh, good for the Niners, I guess, because they do have a talented team, and that's not a great conference that they're playing in. So, you know, they could be a factor as they have been the past few years. So I guess it all worked out for everybody. But just, again, wh why would you why would you put your, like I said, your second-year quarterback in the position to get hurt on a meaningless nothing really play in the beginning of the season it just it didn't make any sense to me and it just like i said it reeked of this is my script and this is what we're gonna do and th that th this is the issue with the coaches from that line and they've had a lot of success the past couple years you know that mcveigh shanahan uh zach taylor um uh and and you'll see with kevin o'connell too as well 
they they've had a lot of success the past few years but there's one thing that i can't stand about when you're watching them and sometimes you can just tell that they're just on a script and they're just they're going to keep whether they're running the ball or whatever and something's not working they'll just stick to it and like i said the script called for the rpo they ran the rpo and it ended up with trey lance breaking his ankle unfortunate but you know they kind of they were were kind of playing with fire there so um so i guess that'll wrap up my uh conversation about this week in the nfl um definitely i'll try to do a preview uh of this upcoming week um before maybe give you some betting picks i know i gave you bills minus five um i believe it's up to minus five and a half so you're probably already missed out on that but i'd still probably take it at minus five and a half so wink wink nod nod um, I would also like to talk about uh, this crazy week in combat sports uh, as well. I teased it in the middle, of the beginning of the show, I should say. Um, not many times I'll get to talk about competitive grappling, so I guess I'll mention it. Um, we had the ADCC tournament, or World Championships, I should say, this past weekend, uh, which is... It was a good experience, I would say, um, from as a, from a viewer standpoint. Uh, there's definitely a few things I would fix about it um, from a presentation standpoint. Uh, the fact that the day, the first day, they have that giant walkout. I don't even know what you want to call it. They have this giant production where they introduce each combatant one at a time in each division and uh it was painful it was absolutely painful uh don't understand why anyone would think that that was a good idea from a production standpoint uh especially when they had a bracket show the day before and you know why not have that be the time that you do your crazy production presentation whatever um, they also had a Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which was a little bit weird. There was a lot of names in there, and again, it took up the time during the competition. That was on day two. Um, but, I mean, once the action was going, it was really good. And um, as you guys may have heard may have heard me say before, um, in the past, is uh, with competitive grappling, at, the, at a high level a lot of these you know shows like fight to win or who's number one or whatever it's it's just sometimes it just feels like it's a commercial to sell my new instructional video and that's what i can't stand about watching high level competitive grappling that's what kind of holds the sport back a little bit but um you know in adcc i mean there's so much at stake there's a lot at stake these guys have been training for this for the past two years well really three years because they got pushed back because of covid and um i thought that it was an entertaining product i thought guys were going for it obviously gordon ryan uh, he ends up winning his division in you know no time at all basically <laughs> um basically runs through his entire division again um, showing that he's the best in the world, and he wins a super fight with Andre Galvao, which was so late on Sunday night that I didn't even get the chance to watch it live. I did see the the clips afterwards, um, but you know, even that lighter weight classes, that seventy seven kilo division was awesome. 
uh, with, you know, ends up the final with Mika Galval and, and Cade Rotolo. That was probably the best match that I watched all, all, all weekend. I heard that the in the absolute, there was a good match between Ty Rotolo and Nicholas Marigali, but I didn't see it, uh, unfortunately. But I have seen some clips, and it did look really good. All in all, it, it was a great uh, uh, event from uh, watching it at home. Um, I don't know if I would ever want to go to that if that's what they're going to they're going to have all that crazy presentation and everything and holding it up and having you sit there all day. Um, I don't know if I would be itching to go watch that live. Um, they definitely need to clean that up for the next time. But it, all in all, it was a, a, a great weekend for grappling. There was a lot of high level guys getting submitted early on in the match. And like I said, that was early on in the to- in each tournament. And like I said, that's what sort of holds the sport of grappling back is that you just don't see those high-level guys lose because they just don't want to risk them. They just don't want to put themselves out there. Um, but they have to at this stage in, in ADCC. It's the pinnacle, I guess, of the sport. So a lot of guys were going for it, and they were getting submitted. They were losing. And uh, it was it was entertaining. It was entertaining seeing you know so many crazy transitions and uh that rule set definitely helps aid the action too as well so even if you don't really do grappling you probably could have been entertained watching that and that's a rarity so kudos to them and uh it was definitely a great event um another uh event we had in combat sports this weekend we had uh ufc big uh we had a big uh, bantamweight fight in the main event uh, on Saturday night. Uh, Corey Sanhagen and Song Dong, which I touched upon in my first show. Um, I thought that Corey was going to use his veteran savviness, and uh, I thought he was going to get the win that way, and that's kind of exactly what he did. Uh, I will say I was impressed with Song's cardio. Um, Song Dong sort of is known for coming out fast, and you know he has a couple finishes early on. Um, I thought that he'd probably go at Corey right away and, uh, he'd probably fade as the fight went on and, uh, he did, he did go at Corey right away, but he never really faded even though <laughs> Corey, uh, used his sort of veteran savviness. Uh, he kind of made adjustments really in basically mid fight. Um, he really kind of realized that he wasn't in the commentary touched upon this he really sort of uh, realized that he wasn't really doing much t- damage with his hands and so he started using his elbows a lot um, every time that song came in he was coming in with an elbow um, and countering and it it led to a nasty cut uh, on song's eye that eventually ended up um, stopping the fight uh, but it was a good fight and and song kind of showed that he's gonna be a factor in that bantamweight division which is really one of the, probably if not it's one of if not the best division in 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 the promotion um song he never really tapered off so you know i could see him in another five round fight doing very well um uh, maybe Corey sanhagen was a little bit too big of a jump um but he did beat marlon reich um in his last fight so you know, it'll be interesting to see who he gets uh, in his next one. Um, and another uh, big event in combat sports on Saturday was also uh, Canelo, uh, Salo Canelo Alvarez. He fought uh, Gennady Golovkin for the third time. Uh, 
this fight kind of was a far cry from the first two, unfortunately. Um, the first two were kind of all-time classics, but they both ended in controversial decisions. The first one ended in a draw that a lot of people thought Gennady Golovkin won. Um, the second one ended in a split decision win for, I believe it was a split decision. I might have, it might have even been a majority decision. Let me just check that while I talk more. Um, either way, it was a controversial decision that many people thought that uh, Gennady Golovkin won that fight as well. And um, it ended up going to Canelo. It was a majority decision. So no one no one scored the fight for... <coughs> Sorry about that. For Gennady Golovkin in that second fight. But like I said, this third fight... Um, kind of a far cry from the first two. Um, Gennady was clearly older um, in this fight. He was 40 years old now, and he's just not the same fighter that he once was. Um, definitely showed early on. Usually he's the type to put the pace on you, and he was clearly taken back from Canelo's hands and Canelo's speed. And uh, he did eventually uh, come alive around the ninth round, but it was, at that point, just all for naught. Um, he backed Canelo up maybe with one straight right, but he never really threatened to finish the fight. Um, it was kind of a little bit disappointing. It is what it is. It's sport of boxing. I don't know what to tell you. Um, the judges' scorecards were a little bizarre. They were kind of favoring Gennady Golovkin. They made it seem like it was a closer fight than it already was, which is, again, I don't even know how in boxing... We can have a fight that was clearly won by somebody and it somehow ends up being a controversial decision, but that's boxing for you. I don't know what to tell you. <coughs> Sorry about that. My mouth's a little uh, dry at the moment. I did have a training session earlier and then now I'm talking to myself basically. And uh, yeah, I'm going to need a sip of water again. Okay. And lastly, before I leave, I do want to just touch upon, um, there was some big news in hockey today, which hockey season doesn't start for another month, so kind of a little bit of rarity we get to talk about it now. But uh, Zidane Ochara of uh, longtime Bruin, um, been in the league forever, 20, 24 seasons, I think he ends up playing, or 25 seasons, um, retires today. I uh, couldn't get anyone to sign him. Um, definitely seemed like he was a little bummed out by the whole situation. Definitely seems like he probably feels like he physically could still play, but um, he couldn't find a job, I don't think, in the NHL, and I think that's why he made his decision to retire. A uh, little bit of a sad day uh, as a Bruins fan because uh, Chara definitely represented a change in the organization um, when he came here as a free agent uh, he they, this team had nothing going on and uh, he came in and sort of not overnight changed the team but he was sort of the, the first piece um, that led from the team being a complete nothing which is what they basically were back in 06 to uh, they ended up winning that cup in 2011 and they were back to relevancy <coughs> Shortly, shortly after his arrival, and uh, he played a big, big part 
and the Bruins uh, getting back on the map really here. And also just the Constamen Pro. The Constamen Pro maybe one of, if not the toughest athlete um, I've seen in any sport, uh, not just hockey, foot, football, whatever, in, in, in any sport. I can't think of, you know, someone that I would rate is as tougher than Zidane Chara. Plays, you know, games with his wire, with his jaw wired shut, um, multitude injuries. He was the biggest guy on the ice. He was always getting hit. He was always getting cracked by somebody. Um, and showed up night in, night out. Never said the wrong thing. Completely carried himself like a leader. And I think as as time went on with his time with the Bruins, I think that, that fans really appreciated him and uh, all that he did for the community. So definitely uh, the hockey world will miss him. Uh, and uh, I'm sure in retirement he'll find something that'll bring him joy in life. But um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Uh, Zdeno Chara retiring from the NHL. Um, also, we'll mention the P.K. Subban and Keith Yandel also retired today. I don't know if it has to do with the start of camp, why these guys all chose to retire on the same day. And maybe they qualify for benefits or something like that, but I'll touch briefly on them. P.K. Subban, at one point in time, I would say, was one of the most explosive players in the league. Obviously, as time went on, his game of athleticism was eventually going to catch up to him. But at one point in time, like I said, he was, uh, you know, one of the most feared power play men in the NHL when he was with the Canadians there, and he definitely added uh, some flair to that rivalry in the early two in the early 2010s um, with the Bruins and the Canadians. And uh, Keith Yandel, again, another guy, constant pro, all-time NHL Iron Man, retires as, um, again, and you know. He was big. He had to believe he was one of the big monikers for that Boston Strong um, slogan when uh, he put that on his skates, I believe, the day of the marathon bombing. He is uh, from the area, so um, always was sort of a sort of a Bruin that never ended up coming here. So uh, it was a little bit sad to see him retire as well, um, and I wish them all the best. But uh, that'll wrap it up for my show today um definitely we'll try to get one out before the weekend probably friday or saturday and uh yeah we'll just keep it going probably do two shows a week um for the time being so thank you guys thanks for listening